In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me, that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me. It always is a great joy for the Church to honor her saints, those men and women who have most faithfully and heroically incarnated the life of Jesus and his words with shortcomings, imperfections, and even sins. Today, we have the privilege of honoring Jesus Christ, the life of Jesus Christ, living in St. Jose Maria Escrivá, the founder of Opus Dei. I recall a good number of decades ago, I was in touch with Opus Dei as a teenager, and that's when I first heard of St. Jose Maria. At that time, he was not St. Jose Maria. He was Monsignor Escrivá, and he was known as the Father, since it's a familial way of alluding to Jose Maria Escrivá being the founder of Opus Dei and spiritually generating followers, sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. And I recall these older men in their late 20s, I was a teenager, who had met the future Saint Jose Maria and some even lived under the same big roof in the headquarters, which also was the center to prepare members of Opus Dei for the priesthood in the 50s and 60s. And I met one person and the impression I got was, well, he was especially close friends with this intriguing individual they call the father. And he would talk about the father and light up like a Christmas tree. I'm thinking of this individual who was perhaps in his very early 30s, if that. And he would recount his observations of the Father, his joy, his dynamism, uh, his deep affection, his, his, his love, his sense of humor. And naively I said, well, I don't somehow say Jose Maria or the Father took a shine to this certain individual. Then I run into 
a priest who's extremely academic in this particular center of Opus Dei in New Jersey in one of the suburbs of New York City. And he lights up like a Christmas tree. And he has his anecdotes to recount. And he recounts them in a very animated way, very excited. Another person who I guess the younger generation would call him a phleg. He was a very phlegmatic person. Nothing really rattled his cage. And great person, very good person, but unflappable. And he would also get excited and speak about the father. And he would smile and, and enjoy talking about uh, talking to him and and hearing what the Father had to say about prayer, about the Blessed Mother, about the need to evangelize, etc. And how people always wanted to run into him and exchange a few words with him. And I finally got a, a bit frustrated and asked the phlegmatic man, I said, what is is so special about this mysterious person called the Father. And he says, we think he is a living saint. And being of Italian extraction, I immediately said, was he like a real saint, like St. Francis of Assisi? And the gentleman said, yes, but if I'm going to be very precise, I would guess that he was more like St. Paul. I said, seriously? He was like St. Paul? Not that I knew all that much about St. Paul, but, you know, he was a prominent sacred writer in the New Testament. In fact, he has most of the writings. And that kind of intrigued me. And it began to make sense that there was some kind of spiritual force behind these regular men and women as well. I only knew the men at that time to have inspired them during a time uh, in the 70s of confusion in the church, defections, the practice of the faith, took a nosedive, especially among the young, and seeing anybody who's going to that center serious about their faith which was very countercultural, always will be. And I couldn't help say to myself, well, like, that's the reason. Because we, there was a problem, you know. The families were suffering because their teenage sons and daughters 
stopped going to Mass, wanted to stop going to Mass. Pop psychology began to replace, you know, substantial theology and teachings of the church and so forth. Number two, at first I thought, well, one of the perks of being young is that you get very enthusiastic and very idealistic, and there's a lot of truth to that. But I also observed when he was alive that everyone believed that if they make Christ the center of their life and turn everything they do, primarily their work, because that's the activity that takes up most of the day, that world, whatever that may be, will be re-Christianized. I would hear that often. Follow Christ closely. Be centered on Christ so that you could change the world, that you could bring, bring the gospel into the world the port of entry into the world is holiness. As we meditate on the life of Christ through a follower of Christ, taking advice to heart from Pope Benedict Sixteenth in his celebrated exhortation, The Word of God, where he cited a number of examples of saints who followed Christ, and he cited St. Maria as someone to contemplate, to take advantage of his writings, since he's a saint of the ordinary, that his message is to bring Christ into the middle of the world. So he's cited in this important exhortation as a, a means to contemplate the life of Christ. He passed unnoticed, and he would make it very clear that that's what he wanted to do. He wanted to pass unnoticed. Even when he founded Opus Dei and he saw Opus Dei in this miraculous illumination, he wanted to find an organization that he could join that matched the illumination he saw, and he couldn't find that because he didn't want to be a founder of anything. He wanted to do and disappear. That was sort of his motto. And in the last year of his life, I will read a bit of it excerpt from one of his last letters on occasion of the 50th anniversary of his uh, priesthood and it fell on Good Friday so there was no hoopla on, on that day and he writes may Jesus watch over my daughters and sons for, for me 
This is in March 28, 1975. I am writing to ask you on the upcoming March 28th, the 50th anniversary of my ordination to the priesthood, to pray especially for me to be a good, faithful priest, invoking our Holy Mother Mary and St. Joseph, our Father and Lord, as intercessors. I don't want any solemn celebrations to be organized because I wish to spend this anniversary following my habitual rule of behavior. What I want is to hide and disappear and for Jesus alone to shine. In a certain sense, that's his biography. I want to hide and disappear. In a sense, he didn't get his wish. In a sense, he certainly did. After the tragic drama of this most virulent persecution of the church in Spain in the 30s, on occasion of the Spanish Civil War, in the odyssey of avoiding capture and arrest and ultimately execution. It makes for an exciting story. But after that, after these extraordinary events marking the early days of his life in Opus Dei, for the most part, he, his life was hidden in the central headquarters of Opus Dei that was being built little by little, starting in the 40s, called Villa Tevere, Villa on the Tiber. And there, from that building, at least for him, that was God's will that he be in that building writing documents, directing the work, directing the formation of everyone in contact with Opus Dei throughout the world, starting in new countries, praying constantly, doing a lot of penance, but essentially passing unnoticed. And what do we see here? He passes out of this world and you have scores of men and women on the five continents who are bound and determined to pursue nothing less than holiness of life. Men and women throughout the world who don't only want to commit themselves in practicing their faith, but want to spread the gospel in concentric circles, starting with their own families and extending that to their extended family, their friends, their colleagues, their acquaintances. What is the Holy Spirit telling me 
with the witness of St. Josemaria, with the impact he has had on the world, on the church, what is he telling me? He is telling me that the kingdom of God is like a grain of mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds. But when it has grown, it is the greatest of shrubs and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. And notice, every word is important. Jesus says that the kingdom of God, what is the kingdom of God? It's The kingdom of God is the life of Christ in an individual. And if it spreads to another individual, that kingdom has grown. And the follower of Christ is all about extending that kingdom of peace and joy and freedom and giving the world events and the collective anxiety of our country, the moral issues, people grasping for meaning, for hope, and in many instances cannot find it, prompting St. Jose Maria to say that these world crises are crises of saints. Why does he say that? Because the saint is a receptacle of Christ. He or she is the light of Christ. And it begins like a mustard seed. St. Jose Maria, in the beginning of his foundational period in getting Opus Dei off the ground in its infancy, he very much was the mustard seed. He, he did pass unnoticed. And being virtually destitute and earning a meager living, tutoring students in law, he was both a civil law, lawyer and a canon lawyer, trying to spread the message that the cab driver, driver, the auto mechanic, the hairdresser, the teacher, the lawyer, the doctor, are called to love God as much as St. John of the Cross or Sister Faustina or St. John Paul or Mother Teresa. And that fell in large part, on deaf ears, not only deaf ears, he was uh, accused of insanity and even heresy, passed unnoticed. And perhaps he had that same sensation when Jesus invited the apostles to feed the multitude of people 
one gospel passage says, what are we among so many? Another gospel says, we only have five loaves and two fish. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And when we see these societal and world events that give pause, that instill anxiety and apprehension and worry, we go back to that idea. In this life you will have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. This is the language of early Christianity. It's also the language of Christianity today. St. Maria would instill tremendous optimism. I recall another common comment. One was his affection. Another comment was, he was fun to be with, sense of humor. And some people would get a little bit irritated if they saw a documentary or a video of St. Jose Maria without emphasizing that he was fun to be with, that he had a good sense of humor, that he was a little bit the life of the party. These people who knew him would speak about that, emphasize that. The other commentary, unprovoked, was that he gave us so much hope that in his presence, when he'd talk about our Lord and talk about apostle or evangelization, you couldn't help but be convinced. We're going to do it. This is possible. Though we're a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds, Jesus says, are so insignificant. The faith is so countercultural. The message falls on indifferent or apathetic ears. At times it falls on hostile ears. It seems like Christ is irrelevant. It's a tragedy that the best kept secret is that yes we do have meaning in life yes we can be consoled yes we can be forgiven yes we can be healed yes we can be happy yes we can produce peace and harmony in our families and society as well eventually and we don't want it to be one of the best kept secrets and St. Maria shows us no, he didn't go, he didn't do phonathons, he didn't knock on doors, he didn't Bible, pu- Bible thump in the main squares of Rome or Spain. He was bound and determined to do God's will, to become a saint, and to do and disappear, and to pass unnoticed. He was bound and de- determined to be truly a mustard seed. And why does Jesus pick the mustard seed? It starts small. I guess a 
The mustard seed's the metaphor for the birth of Jesus. He's in a stable. Virtually nobody there. A few smelly shepherds. He's working as a carpenter in a... Well, he had a commute to work because there wasn't much work in a town of 40 people. Nazareth passed the notice there for the majority of his years here on earth. He certainly didn't have a stadium full of people cheering him on when he died on the cross. Very few people saw him resurrected. St. Paul says 500. Our Lady's apparitions, take your pick, whether it's Lourdes or Fatima, powerful revolutionary messages or messages that will affect the world. But it starts with three little kids or one peasant girl. What's so special about the mustard seed? Yes, it's the smallest of seeds, but the size is irrelevant. St. Jose Maria shows us. It's the life force in that seed. And that life force is the life of Christ. There's a limit to how good of how good of an athlete we could be, especially as we get older, or our ability to write poetry or or to tell a joke or or even to perform a task. There's no limit to how much we could grow in love for God and love for others. It's our greatest gift that was bestowed upon us in baptism. And St. Jose Maria says that the purpose of Opus Dei is to enhance, to emphasize, to teach, one to allow that baptismal grace to really grow so one becomes a, a saint and spreads the gospel. I would say part of this passing unnoticed, yes, it's the mustard seed that if it keeps growing and growing and growing, it's going to influence the world, symbolized by the birds of the air nestling in its branches. The parable of the leaven in the mass also reflects the life of a saint, in our case now, St. Maria that little yeast, but something's in that yeast that touches the dough, which represents the world. It takes time. That touching is relationship. It's loving people. But there's a life force that comes from Christ through the work of the Holy Spirit. And St. Josemaria makes it very simple. What, what was his secret? How did he generate so much spiritual energy? in that building in Rome for since 1946, 30 years, practically. He made it very clear that we need to insert ourselves into the life of Christ through what he would call the bread and the word. One more reflection before drawing the meditation to a close. 
I was privileged to have been at his canonization. I guess he didn't pass unnoticed there. He had 500 prelates near the altar. He had this future St. John Paul. Some people even call him St. John Paul the Great. The I've never seen, I lived in Rome and Rome was packed with people, St. Peter's Square. The crowd extended to the shores of the Tiber. Every roof was full of people. Every window had heads sticking out. It was uh, a sight to marvel at. And I had to get there early, given the huge crowds, hundreds of thousands and what circulated through my mind was about 60 years previous to that, this event of his canonization in 2002 was he was, or his messenger at that time, uh, the future Blessed Alvaro, was told by Vatican officials, you have come a hundred years too soon with this message of holiness in the middle of the world that this universal call to holiness, this universal call to evangelization. And that we evangelize effectively to the degree that we are immersed in Christ. He was told through Blessed Alvaro, the future Blessed Alvaro, you've come a hundred years too soon. And then you did have, at that canonization, a microcosm of his vision on October 2nd, 1928, of seeing Christ in the heart of the world, seeing representatives of the five continents, to see representatives of every nationality, every race, completely focused on the mass, you could hear a pin drop, even though you had almost, whatever it was, 700,000, 500,000, I don't know the exact number, but hundreds of thousands. And he would say, vale la pena in Spanish, which means it's worthwhile. And looking at Christ through the prism of his witness of sanctity and of his message, Let's stir up hope as we invoke the intercession of St. Jose Maria and see these words of the Apostle John in his first epistle, chapter 5, verse 5. Who is it that overcomes the world? What is the victory that overcomes the world? This is the victory that overcomes the world, your faith. And faith is not just mere academic assent, but it is inspired by deeds of love, deeds of sanctity. The greater our sanctity, the greater our faith. That's what's important, that we do and disappear. The life force in the mustard seed, the life force in the leaven, will change the world, as Jesus himself tells us.
as St. Josemaria tells us. We go to the Blessed Mother, we also ask for St. Josemaria's intercession, that we have the faith, hope, and love to begin again in our pursuit of following Christ more closely and settling for nothing less than personal holiness. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help in putting them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, St. Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.